Developing enterprise apps quickly is essential for business success, and securing data during the development phase is imperative too. Jed Yua, the founder and CEO of Delphix, suggests that though not as many people are talking about securing data in the app development process, they should be. Even more so, he argues they must secure this data or face huge consequences. Nobody wants to talk about test and development data, but development data is a huge honeypot. So many people have their fingers in the pot and all of them are potential points of risk. If you think about these nation states and these ransomware gangs, all they have to do is compromise one individual in an organization with access to development data and they can cost the company hundreds of millions of dollars to billions of dollars. It's really not that hard to compromise the people, which is why you have to move to this zero trust model where you use fully automated platforms that use zero trust methods of authentication, so passwordless authentication, where you have this immutable data record that really protects the data from getting destroyed or encrypted. You really need these safeguards in order to protect data properly today. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Jed explains how development data can be properly and speedily secured. He also chats about his book, Disrupt or Die, what the world needs to learn from Silicon Valley to survive the digital era, and how IT leaders must set faster and bolder goals for innovation to keep up with the acceleration that is happening all over the world. Enjoy this episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have a special guest. He is the founder and CEO of Delphix. Welcome to the show, Jed Ewa. Jed, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. All right, right out the gate. We do this for everybody. You know, for anyone who doesn't know, can you explain what is Delphix and what does it do? Yeah, Delphix is a data company. So we have a DevOps data platform. And what that means is companies today are all run on applications. You use a ton of applications on your phone. Every time somebody has to release a new version of application, you need to test that application with data that allows you to conduct the tests. And so we're a DevOps data platform that pulls the data from enterprise apps, pushes it into development environments so that the world can release applications better and faster and more securely. Is that very similar to load testing or how, what would you compare it to, I guess? Yeah, there's functional testing, load testing, performance testing, there's user testing and training, all the uses you need for data as part of the innovation cycle we supply for our customers. And that's from really large companies to medium businesses, anybody who runs their business using applications. Give us an idea of what the world looked like prior to Delphix and your methodology, right? So if I'm building an application, I have a new release or new feature, new module, it doesn't matter what it is. I think it's ready to go. I do need data, of course, to go into it so that I can see it, or maybe it goes through UAT, or maybe I just go, like you've seen some companies do, like like basically they ship it to customers and hope that they, you know, a small subset of customers, like, hey, do they figure out something wrong with it? You know, that was kind of the old way. Give us a picture. What's the old way look like? What was wrong with that? And why did you, you know, how did you come in with a solution that says, hey, we're going to fix that problem? Yeah, the old way of setting up a test and development environment is you have a bunch of admins who touch the production system and set up the development systems, and then they work together to pull data from your production application, the live running app, and then you have 
that data copied and moved into the development environment. And everybody who's touching that data, it takes more and more time to get the data from A to B. And they're all points of risk for data loss. Everybody has access to the data during this period. So it's very insecure and or it's very unsecure. And so what we're able to do is we automate that entire process so we can drop the data in exactly in the development environment, exactly when you need it. And we make all that data secure. I saw in the past some of the uh, different companies that had security breaches or challenges. You know, I think this process probably without a solution like yours is where things like ha- this happen because, you know, you're testing and you have to go to production data, you're moving to a test environment, but, it, you know, the reality is it's not ready. So you don't know if it's secure, you don't know if it's locked down. And that's when like the gaps opened up. I think we saw one time like Capital One was keeping personnel records on S3, which is totally public. You know, apologies, Capital One. I know that was in the past, but you know, that, that was a story. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the problem with all this development analytics data. It's a big, dirty secret for all the, app, all the companies that run applications today is while they lock down the production application that's facing the end users, in all their dev and test and analytics environments, it's totally unsecured. The data is just floating around with access by developers and multiple different parties. And so you really need a platform that both accelerates that process and also makes it secure. You know, one of the big problems today is everybody's trying to ship software faster. And we have like big tech giants who use our platform and they're doing millions of these CI CD pipeline runs a month, which means that they're doing millions of releases that are getting pushed into production applications. You can't do that waiting on people to grab data from system A and push it to system B. It has to be completely automated. We've had multiple CISOs on our show in the past talk about, hey, you know, as much as companies want to prioritize security, the reality is the kind of what you said, moving fast, making customers happier kind of takes more priority. So people want to always move faster. When did you, I guess, observe this opportunity existed? Because, you know, one of the things that you had previous to Delphix is you had been part of a company, you were the CEO of another company called Avamar. We have it on record that you, that was acquired by EMC. So you were already building software, understood software. Did you kind of already see that opportunity in front of you or give us an idea? When did you see like this new methodology, creating a DevOps solution to replicate and move data for testing and building applications would be a possible opportunity or company that could build around that problem? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because we we kind of created the problem with my first software company. So (laughs) that makes it a little bit easier to find the opportunity. So with Avamar, when I started it, it was way back in 1999. And all the companies in the world were backing up all their enterprise data from all their apps and all their systems onto tape. But TiVo had already launched, MP3 players were plenty, and they're taking data from tapes and putting it onto disk and radically up-leveling the user experience and the features that are available for the data sitting on these devices in the consumer space. And so my idea was the entire enterprise tape backup world would have to move onto disk. And so that's what happened over the course of a decade. It became a multi-billion dollar product after it was acquired by EMC. And uh, what I discovered was that we were really good at deduplicating data and shoving it all into these backup solutions, but you still had to restore it to another location, which would take a lot of time before you could use the data. So you couldn't use the data in place. And I had a lot of customers who came to me and said, hey, Now I've got all my data sitting on disk, but I'm still recovering it slowly to my development environment, my QA environment, and my analytics environment, and my UAT environment. Can you do something about that? And I thought, well, we could, but we'd have to redesign the entire system. It's really a completely different platform. And so I I left EMC a couple of years after the acquisition and started my second software company, Delphix. 
Gotcha. So give us an idea of what your background is. Of course, I'm looking at some of your information on LinkedIn right now, but for our audience members who aren't doing that, give us an idea because you have very clear, in my opinion, just talking to you like infrastructure background, you know, like you're constantly talking about infrastructure, UAT systems, environments, probably integrating microservices, although that didn't exist in 99. But <laughs> give us an idea of your background to like be in this world. Yeah, my, my background is I I'm, I was really good at Yahoo and Google searches. So I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm pretty much an accidental entrepreneur. I was an English major in college. I was an English major too. English, English majors unite. Yeah. And I was a high school teacher when I was in college and immediately out of college. And it was right after that that I came up with my first product idea. And that completely changed my life. It turned out to be deep in data infrastructure. And so I've stayed in that lane since. Now, one of the things that we talk about, you know, bringing it back to current times on the Delphix website, it identifies one very clear problem right out the gate. Uh, You guys talk specifically about ransomware and, you know, data compliance and security. You want to, and your brand promises, you want to help companies safeguard against ransomware to protect uh, PII, PCI, PHI, and go, and you have a really I like this uh, promise, zero to hundred percent. On previous episodes of IT Visionaries with different CISOs, they talked very specifically about companies. It wasn't so much that they were coming in and taking data. That's one big problem, but they're also like trying to like copy the most valuable information. Then they want to ransom that or they want to stop applications. And of course, ransom that, like that was happened in, uh, I believe the Colonial Pipeline, for example. This is obviously something everyone is scared of, there are many ways to capture information. So there's like, and the security industry is huge, right? There's network security, there's application security, like everything's got a security tool. Talk about how you fit into this, this world, because this is a big market, obviously, and everyone cares very much so that they do not get hacked and they do not get any of their information taken. Yeah. So if you, if you think about ransomware, all the companies that have been hacked that have had these ransomware attacks that have gone down for days, sometimes weeks. They all have security products. They all have backup products in place. And yet they're going hard down for 10 days plus in many instances. So what is happening here in the world when you have all these products that are supposed to protect you, but you're really not protected? And the problem is that a lot of these solutions were just born in a different era. They were born in the data center era. They are not ready for the modern type of attacks that are presented by ransomware and what they can do to the key enterprise applications that power businesses today. So if you, if you take an application today and you back it up, that backup happens at a single point in time yesterday. And so you have a whole day's worth of data loss that's potentially uh, present for you if you try to restore the next day. And a restore could take you an entire day. So it's two days of potential data loss. And that's only if the restore works. If the restore doesn't work, now you have a real problem. And the problem with ransomware is you could restore to a point in time and then discover you still don't have access to the the data on that date and time. The data can be encrypted. They can also scramble data. They can destroy data. There's all kinds of things you can do to the data. So you might have to restore to many different points in time in order to get a system back up and running. And then another problem with applications is that many applications depend on each other. So you have to have a whole bunch of applications that work in an integrated fashion to handle major business processes. So you don't just have to restore one system, you might have to restore 10 systems all at the same time to be able to recover your application states. And so most companies, they simply don't test for that. They simply never test their restores because backup solutions were born in the data center era. They're not 
they weren't born in this era where everything has to be real time, automated, up and running in minutes and seconds. What does a modern, well-secured, protected, preventative system, how is it designed? Give me an idea of some of the priorities that you got to check. Yeah. So the first one is you need that continuous data record. So with backup solutions, you get a point in time backup from yesterday or the day before, and then a long time before you restore data. What you really need to be able to do is restore to the point in time immediately before data loss or an encryption event. And you need to be able to restore that instantly within minutes. So that's what data platforms like Delphix provide. We're staying synchronized with the data near real time. And we have the whole data record. So we have the data since the last transactions that came into the system. And if you want to open it up to yesterday at 3.28 PM and 25 seconds, because that was immediately before the ransomware attack, we can open up the data for an application exactly at that time. And we can do it not only for one application, we can do it for 10 applications all at that same time. So you have the full integrated application suite come up and running at once. So it's just a very different method of protecting the data. It's not a Swiss cheese approach. You have full consistent data records and then instant recovery of even integrated applications. The second piece that's really important here is early detection. So if you look at backup solutions, they'll look at anomaly data like, oh, it looks like the backup data volume changes have changed a lot, but that could be due to all kinds of different reasons. With a product like Delphix, because it's an automated platform where the data is made immediately available in a secure way to these downstream environments, we can, we can test the data so we can see if the data blocks have been corrupted, the data files have been corrupted, if encryption keys have been tampered with, if actual data fields have been tampered with. So we can do automated multi-level detection so you can actually see immediately when you might have a problem. And then there's one entire other issue that, that you touched on briefly that we addressed that nobody really addresses in the market today. And that's the data theft component. So if ransomware, if a ransomware attack occurs, they can encrypt your data in place and stop you from accessing the data, or they can steal that data and then they can extort you for money on the threat that they'll release it to the dark web. So if you look at the T-Mobile case, they stole 50 million roughly uh, consumers worth of data from a development environment, and then they held that for ransom. So that's called extortionware. And so what Delphix does is we take the data that's floating around in all these unsecured development and analytics environments, and we automatically secure the data. So we, we take your social security numbers, your credit card information, and we anonymize that data. We replace it with fictitious values that are still, they still maintain referential integrity. So you can still do all your proper testing and development uh, but then that data is now secured from anybody who might want to steal the data. So we even close off that last gap in data security. Oh, that is cool. So the testers, so like, for example, if I'm a banking institution and I'm testing this new payment portal because we're launching a new credit card application or whatever, and I need customer records, I need account numbers, I need social security numbers. You'll help me scramble that. You'll help me. So if my social security number is one 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 in real life, you're gonna change it to three 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 two three seven four. Well, just a random number, right? My account numbers. You you mentioned the integrity. Like if I'm using ten digit alpha code numbers, you're gonna scramble them. So there's gonna still be ten digit alpha code numbers, and then maybe you'll maintain the privacy integrity to to not allow an extra digit or a missing character, so that I can test exactly as I would in prod, but with ghosted data. And you're going to do this automatically for me. It sounds like touch of a button kind of deal. Yeah, you set it up and it's automatic uh, when it's delivered to any downstream environment. And 
And your social security number would be the same across all the applications in your environment in these test environments, because often the testing has to happen across systems. So if it's in the payment portal or if it's in the web app or if it's in this or that, it'll all, it'll all show up the same way. So your cross-functional test cases will all still work. Oh, that's perfect. So my co-developer on the other side, and we're trying to like see what happened to customer record one, he's going to see the same number, she's going to see the same number, and I'm going to see the same number, and all three of us will know that this worked or didn't work. And there's no risk of theft, right? Because if you steal the data, it's not the real data anyway. Uh, so that's what we call referential integrity, where we maintain the integrity across all the use cases and systems. I think back to some of the things that we've heard from different CIOs that have been on the show talking about, you know, of course they want where their energy and time is and they want to build things, you know, secure by design and all these different things. But no one that we've had has talked about, what about test data? It seems quite obvious now that I'm talking to you, but I don't recall this word ever being mentioned in any of the previous shows. Nobody wants to talk about test and development data, but development data is a huge honeypot. So many people have their fingers in the pot and all of them are potential points of risk. If you think about these nation states and these ransomware gangs, all they have to do is compromise one individual in an organization with access to development data. And they can cost the company hundreds of millions of dollars to billions of dollars. And so it's really not that hard to compromise the people, which is why you have to move to this zero trust model where you use fully automated platforms that use zero trust methods of authentication. So passwordless authentication, where you have this immutable data record that really protects the data from getting destroyed or encrypted. You really need these safeguards in order to protect data properly today. The industry of DevOps, data security, you know, it's full of, I would say, ubiquitous words that are very hard to differentiate, right? Everyone says we're in DevOps, everyone says we're AI, everyone says we do security. One of the big challenges that we've had with different CIOs, CTOs, they always talk about is like, what is someone saying, right? And can they prove that it works? I would love to hear like when the early days, once you had like a, a working model that you wanted to test with some customers, how did you convey this? Because I'm sure a lot of, they were probably hearing a lot of pitches. Oh, DevOps. Oh, good. Uh, another DevOps company, right? Like where in DevOps do you sit? And then give us an idea of what it was like in that first test. What, how, how did you convince someone to say, okay, Jed, I'll, I'm going to try Delphix and see if it does what you say. Yeah, it's a pretty crowded space. There are a lot of tools in DevOps. The, the good thing is that we're really focused on data for DevOps, which is a different space. So over the last decade, everything else has been really well automated, the compute and the storage and the networking and the code. There are all kinds of tools that handle that. But if you think about the data that sits in applications and in development environments, nobody's gone after that because it's complex, heavy, constantly growing and filled with risk. And so we, we are really attacking the last automation frontier for DevOps, which is all about the data in enterprise apps. So it's quite differentiated when we get there. It's the data for DevOps company. Now, the reason why people will test with us, there's generally you know, a couple of reasons. One is they need to move faster and their data and their environments, it's just getting in the way. It's just too slow for everything else. So the need for speed is a big reason why companies will, will try out Delphix. A second reason is because they know that there's risk in the data in their development environments, and they don't want their development environments to become front page news like it did for T-Mobile. And then third reason is we deduplicate or we virtualize the data across all the development environments. So we pay for ourselves. We reduce the data footprint by over 10x for our customers. 
And that makes it better for the pocketbook and better for the planet because you're consuming less resources. So it's, it pays for itself in real savings. Give us an idea of what a customer experience is like when they implement or some of your customers, when, after they've tried this, some of the developers that you work with, because obviously DevOps is very, it, you're only, I mean, your customers are devs. Where do they report back? Do they, because, you know, there's there's definitely companies, I'm sure some companies where it's like, if I want to spin up my own test environment, I have to like probably enter like a support ticket or something like that. <laughs> then, they'll, then they'll provision me my, my resources. Others, of course, can move faster where they can provision their own resources, maybe with a, like a HashiCorp or something like that. Give us an idea of what customers experience, because I guess how bad is the pain need to be before they give you your, your product a shot? Yeah, the before and after is pretty dramatic. So for a lot of our customers, the before picture is it actually can take quarters or months in order to get a development environment provision with the right data in the system. So usually you can get the systems provision, but to get the right data for your test, that's even harder. And it, nobody is responsible for that solely. So you're taking piece part time from all these overburdened teams. And so it just gets left behind. And so it takes quarters or months. And we take it from that to minutes. Quarters? There's still companies that it takes quarters to provision a test environment? We have a lot of customers where it takes quarters, where their data is a whole quarter old. So they're working on some, they're trying to test against a completely incorrect version of the data. <laughs> and that's why, that's why you blow things up in production. Yeah. Yeah. You ship it and you ship it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this doesn't work. I wonder why it's like, oh, well, we couldn't replicate any of the data that we're actually going to see in volume in whatever requirement there is. We couldn't get it done. Oh, that is pretty interesting. That kind of leads, I think, very well into another topic. You have also written a book. Jed is the author of a book called Disrupt or Die, What the World Needs to Learn from Silicon Valley to Survive the Digital Era. You wrote this book uh, it looks like a little bit ago, like, but what you're saying is totally true and kind of I want to hit on what you just talked about a moment ago, which is from today on, the world only moves faster. Every product is going to move faster. Consumer product, digital product, it's all going to move faster. And then we had uh, another CEO with Pendo. They do uh, product software. They said every product is also going to have a digital interface. Like We're going to interface with all our products digitally. So... This is 100% true. So this race, it's like a race to who can make the best thing possible for the customer. So, you know, you guys solve that speed portion, like you're part of the speed game. Talk about what you think, why you wrote the book and talk about what, you know, how you foresee the future, like what is going to be necessary to match that demand. I think everyone agrees we're going faster. So what's it going to take to match that demand? The funny, the paradox of this is everybody realizes we're going faster, but they don't realize how fast they actually need to go. And so what I mean by that is it, you really have to look at the rate of innovation. If you look at the tech giants and the world's leading application development firms, they're releasing software at that rate that I talked about, millions of CI CD pipeline runs a month. You can see it in our data. They'll actually provision data into environments, test and release a million times a month. We can see that. Now, if you look at the, the top companies and then you look at the data across all the rest of the world, the rest of the world is really far behind. They're, they're doing it like, maybe monthly, sometimes quarterly, at the best they get to daily. So you're going millions down to, down to like monthly. That, that is a million X divide in the rate of innovation. So what companies don't realize is that there is a new standard out there that they have to meet and they have to march in that direction as quickly as possible. But they're just setting goals that are too conservative. They're saying, hey, 
We're a waterfall shop. We're lucky if we can get to monthly. We don't even know if we want to get to monthly. Some of these systems of record, I think we can get by with quarterly, but that's the wrong mindset because every part of your application stack from the systems of record to the systems of engagement that are facing your consumers, all of it needs to move faster today for you to maximize what you can do for customer experience and the apps that you can build for your business and industry. And so they have the wrong mindset, the wrong targets. They know generally I need to move faster, but they don't have the right goals at all in mind. Okay. So I'm going to call out some companies right now because this is exactly what I'm thinking about is as you were talking about that, the finance industry is notoriously slow. So I'm going to call you out, Vanguard. If you're listening, Vanguard CIO, you welcome on the show, but Vanguard, the Vanguard app is so bad. Like it's right. And it's a trusted advisor. And I get it. The finance game. I trust their funds. I have Vanguard funds, but every time I want to log in and look at like the performance, I think this is the worst experience of my life. Right. And then we have companies built in the cloud, like Betterment that are, you know, robo advisory. I have a Betterment account. I'm like, oh, this is so easy. I see my grains. I see my deposits. Like everything's happening super fast. And then Vanguard launched its digital advisor product, which is supposed to compete with Vanguard. Let me tell you guys something. It's an ugly skin on top of the old interface. That's an industry that's moving notoriously slow. Obviously, governments move notoriously slow. But finance is a big one. And finance and insurance and medical, those are three massive services that we all need. Why is the mindset not shifted yet? Because I agree, like you you were saying, everyone agrees, it's not about whether it's moving fast, it's how fast can we move? Why do you think those like incumbent companies or industries or they're just not moving as fast? I don't know. Like, I'd love to hear your perspective on why these industries specifically aren't embracing some of the stuff you're talking about. They're definitely regulated industries, so they have some they they have some issues that they have to deal with that new new companies don't have to deal with. But fintech companies they all enter into a regulated industry, so it's not that big of a divide. I think the biggest problem is you have a lot of IT leaders and technology leaders who try to be pragmatic and say, "Hey, we're at um, annual releases. Let's move to monthly next." And that that again is just the wrong mindset. There, if you set a goal like that, that's too conservative. You're building all of your architecture, systems, planning, processes, people around a rate of innovation that is just too slow. And so they really need to just jump to what is modern. And then they're not necessarily the right people who know how to do that. And so if you if you don't have the right leadership that is targeting it and understands how to take you to where the rest of the world is now uh, innovating, the rate of innovation that's occurring in the rest of the market, you, you just can't get there. We're seeing this right now in direct-to-consumer brands as well, which are now getting picked up by the bigger companies very fast. You know, like Billy is a razor company and just got picked up for $300 million. We saw like some naturals companies. But like the way you're talking about, which is they are coming into a project, like even if they're starting a consumer product, like let's say I'm starting a cup company, they're already starting with this idea that they want to build the best, I don't know, customer experience possible. And they're already taking what you're talking about, that mindset approach. Like, I want to be able to every single second, if I want to make that experience better, I want to be able to do that. That seems like the big difference between the modern companies and the, uh, like you said, the older ones. Yeah. The, the legacy companies, they come in and say, hey, I, I want to run a 20 minute mile. And so that's what they gun for. The rest of the world is running four minute miles and they just don't realize that. <laughs> they're like, I can't see them anyway. So 20 minutes is fine. So give us an idea of what you think is going to happen. Like how fast do you think that old mentality is going to shift to that modern mentality that you're talking about? Like, I guess, what is the rate of acceleration going to be in the next five years? Are these CIOs, do you think they're going to have to, you know, step aside for someone who's thinking, hey, move faster? 
I think it's really what creates that opportunity for disruption in every single industry. And you can see it in every industry. These digital natives are, are just passing legacy companies in market cap and value by finding new ways of engaging customers, new ways of driving revenue, and then new ways of combining different components of the ecosystem. All of that is transforming industry by industry. And so even if they don't move faster, somebody else will move faster and take the future of the market. So that brings us back full circle now to back to your company, which is you're already designing to build your application so that it's easier to spin up environments, test data, you know, protect against ransomware. How do you envision your company moving even faster to support <laughs> this fast demand? Well, what are you thinking about in like the next five years? Yeah. So today in Delphix, we support all of enterprise applications wherever they are. So from mainframes to Oracle databases, ERP environments like SAP and Oracle EBS, all the way out to born in the cloud, SaaS and PaaS. So we support data in Salesforce, we support data in platform as a service. So our, our mission is really to follow everywhere the data goes, uh, wherever enterprise applications go, we need to be there to automate the custody of the data, to secure that data, to deliver that data at the rate of innovation that our customers need. We're also innovating as a company where we now can deliver a lot of that as a service. So it just depends on the model that our customers want. So it's all about delivering Delphix and these data services, either as self-managed software or as a service. You're at a point where your company's you know, pretty big, but it's also not the biggest company in the world. So you're gonna keep growing and you're gonna have to make bets. You stay narrow in the world of software development, which is going to rely on infrastructure and services, is that there's new services coming up all the time, new platforms coming up all the time, which means you mentioned before, you're going to go where your customers are going, but inevitably you're going to start, and it's probably already happened. I'd love to hear your decision tree and like, where should you invest your time and energy? Because you can't support everything all at once. That's, <laughs> that's pretty tough, right? So you have to make bets yourself. Like, hey, we're going to spend more time building here, a little less time building here. Give us an idea of how your team evaluates which technologies and services to support because, I mean, that is proliferating, right? It's never going to get smaller. It's just going to keep proliferating. New services all the time. And companies, like you said, they're going to want to try them, test it. They're going to want, and of course, they're going to want their data protected when they do that. Yeah, the, the, the great thing is that we've had a lot of time to build up the support for all these enterprise apps. That's why we go all the way back to mainframe and databases all the way up to the modern data sources, but it's really all about the modern data sources today. That's where the ongoing focus is for us, being the data partner to protect data in Salesforce, protecting consumer privacy in Workday, protecting consumer privacy in the Amazons the, and the, the Googles of the world and all the major public clouds. That, that's really where we're emphasizing and putting our focus uh, when it comes to our technology. How do you guys evaluate new things to go into? Like, do you guys do team customer survey, like how do you evaluate that? Yeah, well, it's really by customer demand. Now we've built a very extensible platform and it's all API driven. So it's pretty easy for us to add new data sources because all the predicates are already in the platform. The really complex part's already done. It's just about integrating to each new data source. Yeah, we, we wanted to drive down the incremental cost of any new data source. So we, we've done that. So it's not too hard for us to support all the new, all the new variants of SaaS or, or PaaS applications. Super interesting. Jed, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing some of the stuff that you've been doing at Delphix. But before you go, we want to also know more about you in your past because you have a really unique past. And of course, it mirrors mine. 
you know, a little bit because uh, I was a high school teacher. I majored in English as well. I went to University of Virginia. So, you know, I didn't go to Harvard. You know, I'm, you know <laughs> that's, that's that's a whole different league. Um, but, you know, when I was teaching school, my eyes definitely got lit up to like what's possible, I guess, in the world. You have a very unique background, right? So you're, you're, you're learning English. You mentioned to yourself, you kind of Googled and Yahooed your way to knowing about coding and, <laughs> and software development. Give us an idea. Like when you were in high school, what were, as a teacher, what were you thinking about? Like what caused you, I guess, to start looking? I really wasn't looking for tech at all. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't interested in technology at all. You get one advantage of the high school teacher, though. You get your summers off. And one summer, I took an internship. A friend helped me get an internship at a company in California that was in tech. And they paid me more in that summer than I made an entire year as a high school teacher. <laughs> and then they, they kept offering higher and higher amounts for me to stay. And I eventually said yes. And that's when I came up with my idea for my first software company. That is really cool, man. That is awesome. Well, I just think if you didn't have the summers off, would you be here? I don't know. Summers off. They're really key. <laughs> the next thing we want to do is we want to do the lightning round. Jed, before you go, the lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Jed, this is where we ask you super fast, punchy questions to get to know you. So, and so our audience can get to know you outside of the world of just work. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. What's your favorite TV show you're watching right now? I've been watching some documentaries on Netflix, like Game Changers and the seaspiracy and cowspiracy. And I, I've actually started experimenting on a plant-based diet. It's pretty revolutionary. How long have you been eating plant-based? A couple of months now. I, I recover faster from, from workouts. I feel healthier. My blood work is incredibly better. And it's much better for the planet. That is interesting. So is this a diet you're going to continue? I think I'm going to continue it, yeah. There you go. I myself... I don't call myself vegetarian, but I definitely have cut out a lot of me. And I agree with you. I noticed that I can, I feel a lot better. The recovery is the big part. What are you recovering from? Well, in Game Changers, it's these, all these pro athletes, like football players and Olympians who go plant-based to reduce their recovery times. I, I rolled my ankle skimboarding one day and I needed <laughs> to recover because I wanted to go e-foil surfing. And, and it helped me recover from a really bad ankle sprain in like three days. My foot went from black and blue to clear in three days. And after seeing that, I thought, my God, how can I not continue on this plant-based diet? Okay. So that is awesome. And you're a boarder. So you mentioned skimboard, e-foiling. What else do you like to do for fun? I like to snowboard too. I like to surf when I get a chance. I love paddleboarding. Oh man, this is, you're my guy. You're like, you're like my guy, you know, because <laughs> I'm, I'm a surfer myself. So snowboarding, skimboarding, and you said paddleboarding is your favorite. Do you paddleboard flat water or do you paddleboard in waves? Ocean. Paddleboarding with dolphins is the absolute best. Have you ever been bumped by a dolphin? No, but I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, one time I was surfing, I got bumped by a dolphin. I've never been more scared in my life because I didn't know what wow. it was. You know what I mean? I didn't. Yeah, yeah. You just kind of see a fin out of the corner of your eye. and Oh, it wasn't even that. It was like a, it was just gray, a gray mass. It hit my leg and I looked down, I just saw gray and I'm like, ah, I mean, <laughs> I was like freaked out on my board. Like everyone looked at me kind of funny because I, I don't know. They must have seen the dolphins were around. I had not noticed it. So yeah, let me tell you something. If one ever does bump you, it will scare the daylights out of you. Sounds like a pretty good experience though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, we asked this for all, a lot of our tech leaders being in tech. Are you a tech guy yourself? It sounds like you love the outdoors quite a bit. Do you like gadgets and gizmos? I, I do. Yeah. What's something that you've purchased recently or gotten to use recently that you're like, man, this is pretty cool? 
Well, the one thing that I'm really looking forward to is the Apple car because I love my iPhone. Everybody loves their iPhone, but I'm really hoping that they do for the car what they did for the phone. That's not a rumor. So Apple's making a car? I think they are. Either that or it's a rumor that I'm really excited about. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Oh, man. Jed, it was awesome having you on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing how you came up with the idea of Delphix. Thanks for sharing how it works. And also, thanks for giving us a little insight into your world outside of work. You are now, again, we keep seeing this a pattern at IT Visionaries, tech leaders that enjoy the outdoors. Let me ask you one final question. Why do you think you enjoy the outdoors so much? The stereotype is computer people just always are inside doing inside things. But we've found that the leaders constantly do outside things. They're hiking, snowboarding, paddleboarding. What do you think that the outside provides for you? You know, I think when it comes down to innovation and, and creativity, you really need to have a broad scope of things that you are looking at and doing and learning. And that includes learning physically and out in the world and out in nature. I have a humanities background. And I think that really helps to be creative, but being outdoors and, and being in the ocean, all these things just help ground you and keep your mind open. I'm a big believer that you need this beginner's mindset uh, in everything that you do and on a continual basis, even as you scale up a company. And so I think learning things, learning sports, being in the outdoors helps you stay grounded in that. That's the best answer I've ever heard. There you go. Jed, thanks for joining us on IT Visionaries. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me.